1: Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God.
0: And the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the redeemed. Song of the
1: redeemed. Thank you for tuning in to our Friday edition of the podcast. Looking forward to the weekend, the house of God. I know at the Monastery Community Baptist Church this weekend, we have a Christmas cantata for the night service, and that'll be at 6 p.m. We certainly look forward to that. I know the choir has worked very hard, and uh, we have some folks doing narration, things like that. So we look forward to uh, the cantata, hopefully have some folks coming in and uh, some visitors coming in to preach the gospel to. Thank God for that. That's the purpose of it, trying to reach people, trying to glorify the word of God, trying to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we do pray you have a great weekend as we go on the podcast. Now we're going to continue in Matthew 22, uh, where we left off yesterday. And I said some things yesterday concerning the anti-government, anti-establishment, the rebel of today, and the cancer that that rebellion brings in the church house. It also brings it in a family. And I've often said this, I feel like I need to say this on the podcast. I feel like I need to just get this out there. And I want to say this real clearly, knowing someday that these words may come back on me. These words may uh, be a grain across my heart, my mind, if my children go into rebellion. But when you have parents that are against the establishment, parents that are against the government, parents that rebel against authority, why in the world would they not expect their children to also rebel? And I marvel at that. I watch Is the children rebelling, they'd be in church weeping. I'm not mocking. I'm not making light. They'll be in tears saying, pray for our children. They're wayward. But you watch that family when those children are being raised. You watch them against all authority. And the Sunday school teachers weren't good enough. And the deacons weren't good enough. And the pastor, they ate him up for lunch. And boy, just the government itself and the local sheriff and the judges and Dad gets a speeding ticket, everything's corrupt, the sheriff's corrupt, the police are corrupt, the courts are corrupt, the rebellion, and then they wonder why their children will not submit to their authority, wonder why their children won't submit to the word of God, to the man of God. I've told police officers, now this is since I got saved, and to be honest with you, since I've been in the ministry, I've told police officers to pull me over. And normally, it's inadvertently speeding. Either I don't know the speed limit, or I get carried away. Every once in a while, well, I'm late and just kind of accelerate a little bit over the speed limit. You know, somewhere in the twenty to thirty mile an hour range over. And uh, and the police pull you over, and they say, you know, do you know how fast you're going? I say, well, yes, sir, I do. I told a man in Virginia one time. He said, do you know how fast you were going? I said, well. It depends on before I hit the brakes or after I hit the brakes. He said, well, I clocked you at 55. And I said, well, to be honest, sir, that's probably after I hit the brakes. He said, oh, I figured you were going pretty fast. And he was kind to me. He showed me mercy. Because I remember the day when the police pulled my driveway. And for the first time in my life, I didn't have to worry about the police officer being in my driveway. And today, if a police officer pulled my driveway, I wouldn't have to be nervous. I would have to go, oh, my goodness, what's he doing here? There was a day when the police started pulled my driveway. I went out the back door. Police officer pulled pulling the driveway. We hid because that's the life that we lived. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God for getting me out of that life of rebellion, that anti-authority and that anti-disestablishment. And oh, thank God for that. Glory be to God. And so we see again in the text here, the resurrection, they asked whose wife she would be of the seven brothers. And Jesus told them they heir. And then he said in verse 30, he said, for the in resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but as the angels of God in heaven. Now, I'll be real clear about this because I know there's some tremendous Bible scholars that use this verse wrongfully and use this to wrongfully identify. And part of the reason they argue about all of these things concerning angels and marriage and things, they do not understand this verse. He said, neither do the angels, and I want you to notice this, of God in heaven heaven. The angels of God in heaven do not marry nor are given in marriage, specifically the angels of God in heaven. That's the 66%, if you will. They are not given in marriage, neither do they marry. Now, I realize we entertain angels unawares. I believe that's two ways. And I believe in the context there, of course, he's dealing with is it's a good thing, And these are the angels of heaven that are not given in marriage. I believe we all have that angel that is around us, watching over us. And I know folks get all up in arms about that, but the word of God tells you that. And yet these angels are not married. They're not given in marriage, but they are specifically the angels in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now, there's where he trips them up. See, they're coming to, to try to question him. They're trying to trip him up with their words, and they're trying to tempt him with these things. And so they bring this very odd, obscure scenario with this woman, Mary's seven brothers, and finally the woman dies. Who will she be? And he said, you just simply do not err. God's not the God of the dead, but of the living. And he tells them that because they don't believe in the resurrection. So he's explaining to them the resurrection. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. There is a resurrection. He tells them that. Why would they believe the angels in heaven? Why would they believe that in heaven, if there's no resurrection? It doesn't even make logical sense to me why they would think that. Certainly, they don't believe in a bodily resurrection, but he said they don't believe in the resurrection. But when the Pharisees had heard that he put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which is a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? So again, he didn't ask him this out of knowledge or desire or love for him. No, he asked him this because he wanted to tempt Jesus Christ. He saw the Sadducees silenced and he said, Ah, I know. We'll try to silence him one more time. And they would come at him with all of these great swelling words. That's again, that's why we are told those foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing they do gender strife. And I've heard foolish and unlearned questions my entire Christian life. I'm sure I've asked a few. I'm sure I've had pastors that have looked at me cross-eyed and my pastor, especially when I first got saved, would look at me like I was a nut, probably was. But the reality is, is I'd come and ask a foolish question, something Just odd, something off the wall. You'd be amazed. You go in church, you'd be amazed. How many teenage girls, especially, and they'll ask the preacher, Preacher, what does the Bible say about interracial dating? And I say, well, the Bible doesn't say anything good about dating. Why don't you go ask your pastor that? That's something for the pastor to decide. You know, they're just looking for a loophole. Or they're looking for a way to snare, just a foolish and unlearned question. And I've learned to avoid that one. Just go ask your pastor. It's not me pawning it off, but go ask your pastor. Because I knew full well that little girl's not going to go ask her pastor when he thinks about something like that. You know, the other one, people come, what about tithing? You know, Brother McVeigh, and they'll kind of sneak around, you know, what does the Bible say about tithing? And I just, well, it says do it. It's pretty simple. Now I rise a the generation. Today, they're greedy and covetous. They don't want to tithe. They hate tithe. They despise power of tithing. And yet their finances are destroyed, but they come and they sneak around. They they want to know about divorce and remarriage and all these things they're trying to gain and trying to gain profit in their life. And you know, they're looking for some kind of an edge on somebody else. That's a foolish and an unlearned question. And so he says, Master, what's the great commandment of the law? Jesus said to him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And this is the first and great commandment. Now, if you've obeyed that commandment, I would say you're probably blameless concerning the law. Those of you listening that don't have assurance of faith, can I say to you, if you've obeyed that commandment, you love the Lord thy God. And he said this on this wise, with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. If your thoughts are continually on God, your heart is continually towards God, and your soul loves the Lord thy God completely, absolutely, without interruption, then you concern the law or blameless. If you have fallen short of that, you have sinned, you have transgressed the law, and you need to come to repentance. And in that summarizes pretty much everybody. And I know folks say, well, I just love the Lord. And, you know, it's just cliche. It's just a word they say. If you love me, he said, keep my commandments. So the fact they don't love the Lord, is evidence they don't keep his commandments. Uh, But they just throw that word love out there, kind of like they love a woman. It's amazing. A man loves a girl, and then the next day he loves another girl. I love you. I love you. You And he doesn't know what love is. That's the way people are with God. They don't know what love is. And the reason they don't know what love is, they never met love. And you can't understand love until the Lord God comes and puts that love in your heart. And when he sheds his love abroad by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us, we can understand why we go through tribulations, why God worketh patience in us. We can understand why we have faith, because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. It's supernatural. It's something you and I can't drum up. You can't fake it. It's not in swaying. It's not in false worship. And it's not in emotional worship. Well, it's interesting. One thing I'll say about the modern Calvinists, they got right relationship worship versus emotional worship. And that's one thing the Calvinists got right. They hammer that pretty hard. And it's kind of interesting because uh, you hear a lot of folks who are against Calvinism, myself included, but they don't talk about that emotional worship. Worship is not an emotion. Worship is relationship. Now, my wife and I have a relationship. I love my wife. And I have a relationship with my wife because I love my wife. I had to learn how to love my wife. And the Lord is teaching me how to love my wife. I didn't say it's a perfect love, but I said, I love my wife. And I know I love my wife because I laid out my life for her. I give that she might receive. I give that she might uh, have things that she otherwise wouldn't have, including love. And therefore, I know I love my wife. I don't have to question I know that I love the brethren, because I do for the brethren things that I cannot do in my natural self. But that love of God has been shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. And therefore, it's supernaturally, I love the brethren. Supernaturally, I love my wife. Supernaturally, I love the saints of God. It's something that God has put in me. I don't have to fake that. And the same with worship. Because of that relationship, I don't have to fake worship. I don't have to sigh and Hold my little pinkies up and sway back and forth and have smoke and, you know, have like some kind of ethereal experience where I get on cloud nine. No, I just worship in spirit and in truth. And and again, a dead church is a church that separates those two and has one of the other. And when you worship in spirit, that's within yourself. You have that spirit. You worship him. And then you have that truth Then you worship because of that truth. And I know most churches go one way or the other, but it's within you to worship him in spirit and in truth. It's you personally. And you do that according to the word of God. It's not an emotional release. It's not some kind of emotional high where on Monday you crash because your worship wasn't of God. It's because you love him. The second, he says in verse 39, it's like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The people say, well, why do we need the law and the prophets? Because all the commandments hang on those two things. The law and the prophets entirely hang upon that. You love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all the mind, all thy soul, and to love thy neighbor as thyself. And by the way, the law hangs on that. You won't covet if you love your neighbor. You won't lust if you love your neighbor, love God. You won't steal if you love your neighbor and love God. You won't lie if you love your neighbor. You won't bear false witness against your neighbor if you love your neighbor and love God. You won't covet his ass, his ox, his wife. You won't look upon your neighbor's wife and lust in your heart after. If you love God, love the word of God, love your neighbor as yourself. See, those things cure everything. And I can just go on down through that, go on down through all of the law and all of the prophets because upon those hang these commandments. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, now he's going to pinpoint them with a question, saying, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, the son of David. He said to them, how then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Psalm 110, a psalm of David, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. There's that great statement, the Lord said unto my Lord, lowercase O-R-D. You see, the Lord, capitals L-O-R-D, my Lord is L, capital, lowercase O-R-D. We see the prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord shall send the rod out of strength, out of Zion, rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. And so Jesus Christ, when he asked them that, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand. Why? He's the son of David. That's what they're saying. He's the son of David. But what Jesus said, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They only saw the Psalm 110 in the eyes of David. They couldn't see it was the Lord. They couldn't see he's the son of God. They were blinded to the reality that Jesus Christ is the son of God, according to the scriptures. That's why he challenged them, because that hangs all the law and the prophets concerning Jesus Christ. Upon that hangs all the law and the prophets. But he is the son of God. That's the importance here. That's the doctrine he's teaching. But they can't see that because they don't believe the law and the prophets. They don't believe this would hang upon the law and the prophets. They can't see that for anything. They are spiritually blinded by religion, as so many today are. They do not see Christ in scripture. They do not see Christ in law. They do not see Christ in the Psalms. They do not see Christ all through the scripture. What they have is they have a little Jesus a little medallion, a little flannel graph, as our dear friend, Mother Maury says, they got a flannel graph Jesus. They got a John Lennon Jesus. They got a hippie. They don't have Christ of the Bible. That's why they can't worship him in spirit and in truth. So Jesus Christ calls them out on the fact they do not believe the law and the prophets. If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? They couldn't able to answer him a word. <laughs> Amen. If David calls him Lord, then how in the world can he be the son of David? Why would David call his son? He never called Solomon, Lord. He never called Absalom, Lord. Never called Amnon, Lord. Never called Adonijah, Lord. Never called Nathan, Lord. No, he called Jesus Christ, Lord, because he is Lord. He's the Lord of all. My Lord, send unto thy Lord. Oh, glory be to God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So Jesus Christ lets them know he is the son of God. And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions.
0: There is a lost soul who is tired of the sinning, and he longs to return to the Lord. As he cries for forgiveness and mercy, God is
1: waiting. You have been listening to the Daily Doctrine Podcast with Evangelist Tim McBay. For correspondence, please contact us through our website and someevangelists.com and use the contact form to connect with us. You may also subscribe to the podcast through our website or search for Daily Doctrine Evangelist Tim McBay" on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or Amazon. To write to us, please use our church address, which is Manassa Community Baptist Church, 70 Back Hollow Road, Blaine, Pennsylvania, 17006. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in tomorrow. And remember to look up for your redemption the all of
0: night. The prodigal child has come home, and the saints, all with gladness, are singing. The